welcome to the Portugal podcast. My name is Matthew Marshall and he's Tom Condit. Tom, how you doing? What have you been up to? I've just been watching lots of football. I'm good. Yeah, ready to go for another good chat about uh, you know the state of the game in Portugal. You missed that Benfica game to spend some uh, well-earned family time. What did you get up to? Off to the beach yesterday, just taking advantage of these uh, you know last few dregs of summer. So... Yeah, got to do it while the sun's shining. Yeah, that's where I'll be straight after this podcast, Tom, down at the beach. I've, uh, I've had an action-packed couple of weeks. Sales Ronde Verde I went to uh, the other day. That was interesting. And Amarant, Tom, that's a uh, really, really nice club, actually, in Amarant. Really nice town. I really enjoyed my time there. It's one of those little towns on the tourist trail, isn't it, on the Tamaga River, and a really worthwhile place for people to stop if they're ever around that part of Portugal. Yeah, really nice place, Amarant. I know it well because uh, I've got family up there. And yeah, you know, really pretty town, like you said, in the valley and that, uh, you know, the bridge over the river and that big church. It's all uh, well worth, uh, you know, a stroll around there. You can spend a, a nice afternoon in Amarant. It's definitely recommended. All right, Tom, there's only one place to start. That is Benfica. I'm losing track of how many games they're winning, but we're up to 13 in a row now under Roger Schmidt. They're flying. I was at their game in Italy where they overturned that early deficit against Juventus to win 2-1. Well, no real surprises that they smashed Maritimo 5-0. I guess we need to talk about Antonio Silva, 18-year-old centre-back. I asked uh, Schmidt about him, actually, in the press conference, and he was full of praise, said he's he's ready and he's professional, and that game against uh, Juventus was just massive for him. Florentino Luis, another guy really benefiting from uh, from that confidence of being first-choice starter, although he didn't start against match against Maritimo. And uh, João Mario, another guy flying. Gonzalo Ramos, another guy who is continuing to improve. I will just say before we move on to all the other teams, Tom, that if people are interested in all this stuff, I assume they're reading all the articles on Portugal.net. But if you're not, then that's the place you need to go because a lot of the stuff we've written down over the weeks, we're just not really going to go into again. There's just not enough time. So if you're interested in any of these clubs, then that's where you need to be. Tom, what have you got to add on Benfica flying? 13 straight. Yeah, 13 straight. And even if you add pre-season into that, that's 19. He's, he's overseen 19 games, Schmidt, and it's 19 victories. So, yeah, uh, literally could not have had a more impressive start to his Benfica tenure. Uh, yeah, absolutely amazing. Like you said, uh, Antonio Silva, what a start he's had. It's going to be very interesting, Matt, when uh, Benfica's injuries finally clear up. You know, they've got some highly rated Brazilian centre-backs there. Verismo, exactly, he was he was superb when uh, when he first came to Benfica. But will he get back in the team? You know, will uh, even Morato, of course, at the, at the start of this season, will, uh, will Schmidt stick with Antonio Silva? Because at the moment, he hasn't put a foot wrong. Yeah, for sure. There's just so much to like about the team. And I did mention that they haven't really played a massive team. Of course, people think Juventus are a massive team. But from what I saw... In Italy, they're just they're just in complete turmoil at the moment. So, I'm just trying to offer a little bit of uh, perspective there. But you can't argue with 13 wins in a row, Tom. They're flying, and I think so many people are looking forward to see what happens in this double header against PSG. But just running through their team again, David Neres, of course, he's pretty good when you give him the ball and uh, tell him to get past a player or score a goal. We've got Rafa, who's doing well in that number 10 position. And Enzo Fernandez, of course, probably the, the, the buyer of the season in Portugal, is doing really well. And uh, Julian Draxler, another guy we've mentioned who needs to get back to full fitness. And he could be a, a really, really important player for Benfica. And uh, he scored that final goal against Manitimo. So 
Alexander Barr, another guy who's getting a lot of game time at right back ahead of uh, Gilberto. Peter Musa has looked okay in limited game time. Uh, Austin has got that start ahead of uh, Florentino in this game against Maritimo. So no real injuries apart from those ones at centre-back. And I agree, I, I did mention, I think, after that game against Maccabi Haifa that Antonio Silva would probably lose his spot once uh, Morato and maybe the other guys come back from injury, but maybe that's not the case now. Maybe Schmidt leaves him in and just rolls with him. And why wouldn't you? They keep winning, and he just keeps getting better and keeps gaining confidence. Flying. So much to look forward to. And uh, I can't wait to see what happens against this uh, this PSG side. Tom, I won't be there for that first leg, but for sure you'll be there in Lisbon for the, the first one, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, really looking forward to that, of course. I think you'd still have to say uh, that PSG will be favourites for that game, you know, Possibly the strongest squad in world football, or one of the strongest squads, one of the big favourites to win the whole Champions League. But yeah, if Benfica, you know, play at the top of the game, I think they they give them a good, you know, they give them a, a really good challenge. And who knows? I think just to one player there, Matt, you didn't mention, who's also really impressed me this season, is uh, of course Florentino, Florentino Luis back in favour. Uh, you know, after those unsuccessful loan periods for the last couple of years. And we kind of forget that when he first broke into the Benfica team, you know, he was a teenager. That was under uh, Bruno Lage when they had that fantastic second half of the season to, to reel in Porto and ended up winning the league. And he was really key at that time. And everyone was saying, uh, you know, what a huge future he had. Kind of went flat for him. But, uh, but yeah, he's back to his best and he's really impressed me as well this season. Yeah, he was a key player for pretty much all of Portugal's youth teams and picked up injury at the wrong time before the under-21 Euros. Had some, where'd he go? He went to Monaco and then somewhere in Spain, I don't remember, on loan. None of those yeah. moves really worked out for him. So he's 23 now. He's not a he's not a young gun, but he's uh, really benefiting from this confidence that Schmidt's given him. And it's fantastic to see. It's exactly what you want to see. And uh, it's almost like a, like a free signing for Benfica. And his partnership with Fernandes is going really well. So... Yeah, not too much more to say on Benfica. They're flying. Great to see. And uh, let's see how they go against the French champions. Second on the table, Braga. Tom, best attack in the Primera Liga. They're just two points behind Benfica. Six wins and a draw. They've made it eight wins in all competitions. They won in Malmo. I was there. That was good. And then against Union Berlin. I was there again. Awesome. Vitinha has come up big in the last couple of games. Artur George is doing really well. He's 4-4-2. Is, uh, is getting the business done. Bands are up front with Virginia, of course. Ricardo Horta doing his thing. They made some pretty interesting signings with uh, Rasic coming in to provide Al Mizrati with some competition in, uh, in central midfield there. Vitor Tormena, Tom, is a guy who's really doing well. And I think now with Braga doing really well, it's, it's going to attract some, uh, some attention from, from bigger clubs around Europe, isn't it? They're going to look at Braga and think, OK, here we go. And if they weren't already looking at this team closely, then they, for sure they will now. And you'll have more scouts going there. So that got me thinking that Vitor Torremena is probably a guy that's going to be on their radar. One thing I noticed about him, Tom, is he is so fast. I've seen a few instances where he has to get in a foot race with some shorter and and uh, what you would assume to be faster opposing attackers. And he just eats up the meters. He's really deceptively fast. Not only is he good in the air, of course, he scored that winner against Guimaraes uh, a couple of weeks ago. But something tells me that there's going to be some clubs looking at Vitor Tormena 
and Mateusz. I mean, I saw him come up big so many times in the Europa League last season. In this game against Vizela, he, he oh, pulled yeah, off two that. massive saves to, to keep Braga in the game and to preserve the lead. So he's another guy that may be flying under the radar a little bit. Tom, you just really can't give out to George and Braga enough credit at this stage of the season. Very interesting what you're saying there about Tormena, because last season, I think he was looked at a little bit of a weak link uh, by the, the Braga supporters. I remember seeing quite a few view, uh, you know, opinions about him and people were kind of divided. I think he was a little bit, uh, you know, injury prone, perhaps, uh, sorry, uh, mistake prone a little bit. But, uh, but yeah, like you said, I think it's similar to, you know, what we were talking about with Benfica earlier with guys like Florentino. When you when you get a good run in the team, because I remember last year, I think he was in, in and out of the team a little bit. When you get a good run of the team, when you've got the full confidence of the coach, you know, that really can bring the best out of you, can't it? And we've certainly seen that with Tormena. Absolutely agree with you 100%. He's been superb this season. You know, it's been a real rock. And instead of being perhaps a bit of a, Wheatling of the team, you can say he's one of the strong points of the team. But yeah, it's it's funny, Bragger, because in one way I feel a little bit sorry for them because it's really incredible what they've done this season. You know the results they've had, but they've kind of been put a little bit in the shade by by Benfica. Of course, they're always going to be second fiddle here in in Portugal to to the big three. But uh, and Benfica just on you know taken all the headlines with this winning run. But you know Bragger's is is almost as impressive you can say you know we've got to remember the the budget they have for their squad is you know just well not minuscule obviously but vastly vastly inferior to to Benfica's and yet they're just winning game after game and uh, you know a lot of these players also coming through uh, you know either from good scouting or coming through their their youth ranks so yeah brilliant stuff from from Braga, you know, and I, I just really hope, I think most football fans in Portugal, probably even Benfica fans, are really hoping Braga can, can keep this up because, of course, you know, the more competitive the league, the, the higher standard of football we'll see throughout the season. And so, yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see if they can keep it up for the whole season. Yeah, I think, as we saw with Benfica and we just discussed, they haven't really taken on a huge team unless you count obviously that that opening day 3-3 draw against uh, Sporting Club de Portugal but um, they keep winning what I will say is that they've had a bit of a little bit of bad luck with of course the right back the Spanish right back they bought uh, Victor Gomez he got injured in the first game and he hasn't been seen since and uh, Siku Niakate the central defender who had a great start of the season he's been missing for the last few games so that's been a little bit of a hindrance for them but hasn't stopped them winning and Another thing I just want to point out is that their last three games, they've really had to pull it out late. Against Gimaraes, it was that last gasp header from Tormena. Against Union Berlin, who are a quality team, they left it late again there with uh, Vitinha. And even against Vizela here, uh, both goals coming in the last 10 minutes. So that's interesting to see that the last three home games, they've really had to dig in and found it pretty hard to break teams down. But um, away from home, they're just flying. They're just They're just crushing teams on the road and even that 3-2 win in Rio Ave, uh, they took a 3-0 lead there. So it's looking like playing on the road is actually favouring them because they can just play their game and, and it's a bit more of an open game where I think teams now are going to Braga and um, playing a bit more defensively. So um, that's something to, I guess, look out for. I'm pretty disappointed, Tom. Well, I, actually, I'm massively disappointed that I won't be in Portugal for their next game, which is in Porto. 
So that sucks. I'll have to watch that game on TV, but that's going to be a huge game. And uh, really interested to see what happens in that one. Which brings us on to the Dragons, Tom. Who, I mean, is this a crisis? They have, they've won two out of their last six games, which includes three defeats. They lost 3-1 at Rio Ave. They lost 2-1 at Atletico Madrid. And Club Brugge, 4-0. So it's not looking good. And let's just go straight to the last game against Estoril, 1-1. You were there. What did you see? They're definitely not the Porto of Sergio Conceição of last season. That's <laughs> plain to see where they were just, uh, you know, absolutely incredible season. Uh, only lost one game right near the end towards Braga when the, when the championship was pretty much sewn up. And playing really nice football, you know, it's kind of different to the other teams under Conceição in his five years or six years now. A really kind of smooth passing team, you know, when you've got guys like Vitinha and Fabio Vieira in midfield, I suppose we've got to expect that. But yeah, they just don't really seem to be clicking as a unit. And I think the thing which really has stood out to me about them is, uh, I think defensively, they're, you know, they're very shaky and we see that in their results, isn't it? You know, conceding three goals to Rio Ave in, what, half an hour was it? You know, that would be unthinkable last season. Uh, being beaten 4-0 by Bruges, you know, that is just an absolutely incredible result. And even against Estoril, you know, OK, we had to be fair. I think Porto had the better of the game for, for, the, for the most part. They were attacking, as you'd expect, especially, of course, when they went a goal down pretty much throughout the whole game. But Estoril, whenever they did, uh, you know, get the chance to push forward, they really did cause Porto problems. You know, they scored, uh, you know, they scored the opening goal, obviously. They hit the woodwork as well. Uh, Francisco Geraldo's. Uh, missed an, you know, an abs- almost an open goal, really. Good save by Diogo Costa. So, you know, when your defence is dodgy, you know, that kind of, you know, the, the, the whole of the t- affects the whole team, of course, doesn't it? And so I think he really hasn't managed to decide, Sergio Conceição, what his best 11 is, especially in midfield. You know, Eustachio Ustach- is, is in there now, he's doing okay, but I'm not sure if Conceição is 100% convinced that, uh, you know, that's his best midfield. We've had uh, uh, Gruic, of course, coming in and out of the side, uh, not really being able to to get any form. The only one who's kind of really uh, impressed me, I think he's kept the same kind of level of form, uh, is Uribe. Uh, you know, I thought he had a really good game against Estoril uh, in contrast to the rest of the team. So, so yeah, you know, I think he's just got Sergio Conceição is still trying to work out his best team, his best formation. Of course, you've got a player Pepe, who's really been moved all over the place. You know, right back, midfield, number 10. Doesn't really seem to know where his best position is or where he can get the most out of him. Uh, Otavio, of course, has his injury problems, but it's just been nothing like uh, the Otavio of last season. And, uh, you know, and the new signings really are taking their time to... Uh, to make an impact, you know, Gabriel Veron, you can see there's some real talent there, but, you know, he's, he's a long way from, from you know, fitting in, into that team smoothly. So, yeah, uh, you know, Sergio Conceição, one thing we have to say is that he's had to almost invent a new team almost every season. He's been at Porto, but yeah, I think he's going to have to do it again because at the moment they're looking very, very long from the finished article. Yeah, Pepe, he just, he's just not productive at all. We saw Conceição make make some changes after that 3-1 defeat at Rio Ave. Remember, he was starting the, the season with guys like Danny Namasso in the team. Um, even Bruno Costa got a few games. Of course, 
started with Pep and Marcano, but in this game against Estoril, Tom, it was um, Carmo and Fabio Cardoso, so it doesn't really matter. His team changes are not really making that much difference, and it's very predictable. I just don't understand what he's trying to do at right back either. It's just, as I said, I think, before in an article, same thing with when he had uh, Jesus Corona at right back. In this, in this game against Estoril, he tried his son, didn't he, Rodrigo? Yeah. to try and get someone in there who can actually defend but then we saw Zanussi who for that goal it was a combination of errors it was um, David Carmo with a loose pass but it was basically picked up on the halfway line and then Zanussi just couldn't deal with it and then Diogo Costa beaten at his near post so it was just a combination of errors that led to Estadil's goal but I mean that game against Club Brugge he just got outcoached and they just got beaten in every part of the game it was bad it was bad on so many levels so, as we said, it's basically crisis time in Porto. Their results are not good. This game against Braga is huge. And then they've got to uh, host by Leverkusen, who are a dangerous team. And then down to uh, Porto Manets, uh, which is another dangerous team. And then, of course, they've got to go to Germany to play uh, Leverkusen. And then they host Benfica. So, their next six games are danger games, really. This could get ugly in a hurry for Dragon supporters and for Conseil Sal. And uh, we're just going to have to wait and see what happens. And I guess we'll have a much better idea of what's going on in about a month's time. Stay tuned. Okay, Tom, let's move to Sporting Club de Portugal, who don't really deserve to be spoken about fourth, uh, if you look at the table, but I guess we'll uh, we'll knock them off. Poor results. They lost at uh, 3-0 at Porto. I was there. Then they lost 2-0 at home against Chaves. You were there. But then they went on that four-game winning streak, including a couple of huge wins in the Champions League. They won 3-0 in Frankfurt, and then they beat Tottenham 2-0. Another game, you were there. Uh, what were you seeing in those four games? I thought Sporting getting back on an even keel and really looking like a very strong team again, especially the games, of course, against Tottenham. That was a memorable game, really. They played that perfectly, matched them throughout the 90 minutes. Of course, uh, got two late goals. Fully deserved that win, I think, because they created the better chances throughout the game. And yeah, things looked like they were getting back on track again. This is the problem, though, Matt, when you have a, a very poor start to the season. Sporting have already lost three games, which is as many as they lost for the whole of last season in the league. And, uh, and of course, the season prior to that, when they won the league, they only lost one game all season. I'd say the only thing in their defence, you know, a couple of those defeats or a couple of those poor results. Uh, they, of course, lost to Porto. You can always do that at Porto. Uh, they drew with Braga. Looking in hindsight, maybe that was a good result, Matt. Hmm. And then, uh, and of course, the only, I'd say, really poor result was the home defeat against Chaves, even against Boa Vista. Could have really gone either way. Amazing game. Of course, you were there. Such fantastic entertainment. You know, no doubt about it. I think Sporting, similarly to Porto, I think the thing which is letting them down is their uh, defensive work. You know, really, Amarine's success at Porto has been built on such a solid defence, you know, especially his first season. They just conceded so few goals. And I'm trying to work out what it is, Matt, because, uh, you know, in that first season, one of their most uh, regular starting central defenders, of course, they had the three centre-backs, was uh, Fedel, uh, the Moroccan defender. Uh, Now, you know, I'm not going to criticise him because he was part of that team that achieved the first championship for 19 years. But, you know, let's not kid ourselves. Fedel is no world beater. 
You look at the, the central defenders now, I'd say they're more or less at the same level as, as that season before, but they're just looking very, very porous, the defence. And so I, I don't really think it is the personnel at the back. I think the key difference between Sporting this season and previous seasons, you have to look at midfield. And, you know, when you lose players like Joao Polinia, Matias Nunes, they're just, they were just absolutely key. You know, giving real muscle as, as well as muscle they had guile. You know, they could keep the game going forward. You just look at what Polinia's offering to Fulham now. You know, incredible start he's had. And, uh, you know, Morita is a good player. Of course, Ugarte, I think, is a very good player. He's got a very big future in front of him. Maybe these players will get to that level, but they're not at that level at the moment. They will get to the level of a Polinia or of a Matias Nunes, but they're definitely not at that level at the moment. They just haven't got the dynamism. They haven't got, I don't think, the physical strength either of those two players I mentioned. And I think that's really what's hurting hurting sporting at the moment. You know, even up front, you look up front, sporting have never had these under Amarine really prolific strikers, people who banged in, you know, 20 plus goals a season. And so you could look at their front players and say it's not too much difference to what they've had in previous seasons. But I think really, you know, as you know, Matt, it's at the centre of the pitch where a lot of games are won and lost. And I think that's where sporting are really suffering at the moment. I'll start with the positives and it won't take long. But I think Pedro Porro, <laughs> a great player at that right wing-back position. And what I noticed at Bolvista is that Trincao and Marcus Edwards are really, really grown in confidence in a short space of time. The way they were moving around the pitch was, was really, really good to see. And that was the main thing I took away from the previous time I'd seen uh, sporting. It was basically Trincao and Edwards up there, moving along, really looking good. But apart from that, I've got I've got no positives. Uh, Ugat, I would agree, is is pretty solid, but that's it. I've got nothing else. So moving on to the negative, well, it starts with Adan. He's not good, and then Morita. I just don't see how he's going to step up to the level that they want to be at. The other thing I'll bring up that people don't seem to think about too often is just predictability. They're just so predictable. We know exactly what uh, Amadim's going to do. And what I would say was really disappointing is that when Coates got injured in this game, he didn't have Neto on the bench, he didn't have St. Just, so he brings on Eshkayo to basically play in that right spot of the back three. Like, why would you do that? Why wouldn't you just switch to a back four? Why, you know, why wouldn't you just say, okay, we don't have any more central defenders, so we'll just go to a back four? Like, he, like the stubbornness of Amorim's formation is just mind-boggling to me like you know obviously he made that mistake he gave away the penalty it, it, it could have happened if he was playing at right back anyway it probably would have been exactly the same deal so i'm not saying that that was the whole reason it happened but do you know, you know what i'm saying that, that that stubbornness i think that's amarine yes he is stubborn he is kind of inflexible but i think that's really been the secret of sporting's success uh, you know every player knows exactly their role uh, you know, and that's the, the system they use and that's the system he's going to use whatever. I remember last season, for instance, a game against, pretty sure it was Gilles Vicente away, where uh, one of the three centre-backs got uh, got sent off. I think it was Neto got sent off early. And of course, we all know what a fantastic season Gilles Vicente had last season. They were flying. So that was a dangerous situation. I think after about 20 minutes, Sporting were down to 10 men. And he took off Sarabia. You know, he took off Pablo Sarabia, one of Sporting's best players last season, to maintain that three-man defence. Well, I can't remember who it was now, brought on another central defender. 
Sporting ended up winning that game 3-0. And so, you know, it's got advantages and disadvantages. I think uh, the, he, he is, you, you can call it stubborn. Uh, you could also call it he's convinced uh, in his way of playing and his ideas for the team. And, you know, he's not going to uh, switch from that. I think here, I would actually say it's more a question of personnel and individual quality. As Gaia, who I think most sporting fans think is just not up to scratch, uh, uh, probably overpaid for him as well. And Amarin seems to be absolutely determined to show that he is, uh, you know, deserving of a place in the, port- in the sporting team and the sporting squad and in the sporting team. And someone said it after this game, how many points has this guy uh, cost sporting? You know, it's not the first bad mistake he made. You know, so careless, that tackle was just so daft, wasn't it? Absolutely just uh, such a stupid thing to do. Again, as Gaio came through the sporting youth system, I remember he was thought of as a, you know, a potential big star of the future. Never really happened for him. Did okay at Braga. But I just don't think he's, he's up to the level needed for sporting. So I'd say in this situation, I'd actually say it's more a question of individual quality rather than the system that, that uh, was the problem for sporting in this game. And this goes back to a bigger issue, doesn't it? I mean, I mentioned that in my, my little vid and probably in the comments. If you look at Porto and Sporting, they're almost in exactly the same boat financially, selling their best players for big cash and hardly spending a thing on replacements. And so what do you expect? What do you think is going to happen when that happens? So that's a good time to move on, I think, Tom, and uh, take a little break, and then we'll come back with the rest of the teams in the Primera Liga. Okay, Tom, let's move down to fourth position on the table. The Algarve club flying the flag high. Porto Monense, Tom, five wins out of seven. Paulo Sergio doing a great job there. They just keep winning. They're not scoring a whole lot of goals, but they're keeping clean sheets and they're getting it done. I still haven't seen this team. They keep avoiding me, but I'm really looking forward to seeing them in uh, in late October. i got to wait till they, they come up to face... Rio Av. So again, Tom, I really don't have much on this team at all. I hardly watch football on television. You got anything to add on Porto Monets? Afraid not. The only time I saw them was at Sporting when they got thumped 4-0. <laughs> One of their only uh, defeats this season. I might just add what we, I just repeat what we said last time we talked about them. I think Paulo Sergio, kind of old school Portuguese manager, defence first, building from the back. He's done that brilliantly by the looks of it. Yeah, and uh, I'll just mention again, head over to Albert and Barney at the Longball Football Podcast for, uh, for some more in-depth information on some of these clubs we're, uh, we're skipping over because we, uh, we just haven't seen them play for one reason or another. Okay, Tom, down to Boavista. We just talked about them briefly, of course, getting that win against Sporting. That was their third win in a row. Their fifth on the table, flying high, and just what a fantastic job Petit is doing. And again... Uh, I urge people to go and read my uh, report on that game against uh, Sporting for a bit more info. Of course, they've sold all their best players. And uh, Petit really doing well to get the most out of this team. Fair bit of consistency. 
And the, the man of the moment, Bruno Lorenzo, I mean, I saw him in a few games, Tom, and he was a guy I was ready to pull the trigger and say, why is he starting every game? And then he goes out and pulls out this ridiculous performance where he scored a beautiful goal and uh, played the pass for the, for the penalty and then stepped up and converted the penalty with confidence. Just tremendous stuff. But Petit also getting it down without Yustafa uh, Ng, who scored in the first two go- games of the season. He's, you know, he was on fire. So, so much going against Petit, but uh, he's just getting it done and you can't give him enough credit at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm very surprised to see Boavista doing so well, and especially, uh, yeah, with deserved results. I mean, they the game against Sporting, you can't really say it was a, a fluke. You know, they uh, I felt it was a, a well contested game, and yeah, it could have gone either way. Fair play to Boavista. Uh, yeah, Lorenzo, like you said, what a game. You know, as well as scoring uh, both goals, he he also hit a crossbar, didn't he, in the first half. And, uh, and of course, we have to mention uh, Kenji Gore. Uh, what a player he looks, you know, really getting the most out of him, uh, Petit is. So, yeah, you know, fair play. It's good to see Boavista, uh, you know, doing well. Of course, I remember years ago, early 2000s, they were one of the best teams in Portugal. They were kind of like what Braga are now. Of course, they managed to do what uh, almost no other team outside of Big Three have has done and they actually won the, the league uh, at the turn of the millennium always used to get uh, you know big crowds in there so I think that will probably uh, start coming back again if they continue this success so yeah good to see I had a good joke with a mate of mine at the stadium saying that Petit's pre-match instructions would have been pretty simple it would have been stop them scoring and give the ball to Kenji Godet at every chance you get that's it that's that would have been his tactics <laughs> I think I mean it was that simple um, and he was just destroying it and uh, giving Inacio a really hard time. Okay, Casapia, another team we've talked a fair bit and written a bit about. Philippe Martins doing a great job there. I've seen them a couple of times now, which has been really good. I saw them in Guimaraes, uh, but I was way up high uh, for that one. And then I saw them the other day in Pastures de Ferreira, Tom, right down low. Really good to get a bird's eye view on this team. I was sitting right behind Martins. And... What I noticed here, Tom, is that that central defender and captain Vasco Fernandez, he is the key. He's the organizer. He basically tells everyone what to do and where to be. Really, really good to be sitting close to him in the first half. Uh, Samuel Godwin, of course, the Nigerian speedster. They're just so well organized. This formation is working really well with the back three. They know what they're doing. They're really buying into Martin's ideas and uh, they're flying the promoted club, Tom. Best defence in the league, Matt. Who would have said that? Who would have guessed that? After seven games, Casapia have conceded fewer goals than any other team in the league. You know, just three goals. They're just getting the most out of all their players. You know, they've got some old-timers there, like Rafael Martins, who's been around the block. Also good to see Romario Barro uh, getting a bit of a look in now, Matt. Of course, that's a player you would have seen in the Portuguese youth, uh, you know, youth levels. He People kind of forget that when... Porto won the youth league. He was actually the first player to break into the Porto's first team under Conceição. He gave him quite a good run, I think, for a couple of months. But then he yeah. kind of just fell away, had some injury problems as well. But uh, yeah, I just didn't see the last game. Just caught the highlights, like he was, uh, you know, in the thick of it. Almost scored a nice goal. So good to see him coming back. Yeah, for sure. I was going to talk about him, and you touched on it. He was a really important player at youth level for Porto and for Portugal, and had some bad injuries. 
his development has really been hindered by that. He came off that bench at the game I was at and uh, assisted the third goal. And now he's got the start here. So I would assume that he's going to remain in the starting team. And he's another addition that's going to improve this team. So, yeah, tremendous stuff with Kazapia. They're flying. And you just can't see any way possible they're going to get relegated. And uh, it's fantastic to see these promoted clubs coming up and just punching above their weight from the get-go. And putting some of these more, I guess you could call them established clubs in the Primera Liga, under a whole lot of pressure. So let's move on, Tom. Estoril, I got to see their 1-0 win in Vizela the other day. Probably a little bit fortunate to pick up all three points then. But Vidishimo doing a great job. Defensively, pretty solid. And a lot of young talent, isn't there, Tom, in this team? Of course, uh, Thiago Gouveia, the winger, getting a lot of the uh, plaudits, rightfully so. But um, young players all the way through this team doing well. Great to see them punching above their weight as well early on in the season. What did you see from them the other day in uh, that 1-1 draw against Porto? Yeah, yeah, I've been impressed with them. You know, I've seen them, you know, I've, I like their attitude as well, Matt. You know, I've seen them, I saw them against Porto uh, at the weekend and then just a couple of weeks ago saw them also uh, against Sporting. And in both games, you know, they, they didn't just part the bus, they didn't just play like a small team sometimes you know like the small teams sometimes do here in Portugal and just basically try and hold out for a draw they you know they tried to push forward they you know they were always looking to counter of course both against Sporting and against Porto they were spent most of the match defending you'd expect that but they defended well they attacked well and yeah they've got some interesting players one player's really impressed me is the uh, Rodrigo Martins uh, you know, he he went on this brilliant run uh, against Porto. Remember to really set up perfect chance for Francisco Gerald's to make it 2-0. But he's really impressed me every time I've seen him. Uh, Thiago Gouveia, of course, the, Port, the Benfica youth player on loan. Uh, yeah, he's, you know, he's been a, a real bright spark. And, uh, yeah, fantastic goal again against uh, against Porto. Hit the post also. Uh, you know, really dangerous weapon. He could be a he could have a big future. And of course, uh, Verissimo, the the coach who was his coach at Benfica uh, in the youth in the youth ranks, perfect perfect man, isn't he? Perfect perfect coach to kind of bring out the best in him. So they're building a, a good entertaining team and a, a team that can hold their own. I liked uh, Rodrigo Martins when I saw him in Vizela and uh, the Edison, the Brazilian striker who scored his first goal in that game. He could be an improver, so yeah, their front line is looking pretty good. Good start for Estoril. Let's move on to Guimarães. I don't really have much to add on Guimarães, so I covered them extensively at the beginning of the season. They recently lost three straight games, beat Santa Clara, and then really entertaining game in Aruca on the weekend. They, they drew 2-2 with a late penalty. What I will just say is that game in Braga was hilarious in the press conference because you had the, uh, the Guimarães president come in and take over the press conference and make a lengthy statement about uh, mainly about the, the treatment that his coach Moreno who's getting, who let's not forget doesn't have enough qualifications to be a coach anyway. And while he was doing that, Moreno was just pacing up and down the, the press conference room there. Just You could see the steam coming out of his ears. You know, his, 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 <laughs> his face was like a tomato. And this is, of course, after he just went absolutely ballistic at, uh, at the referee and the assistant referee and got sent off in that game. And then he came on to his press conference and just, just went nuts. 
um, saying, you know, why won't they let me do the qualifications and I'm, I'm getting persecuted and all this stuff. So I just don't have that much more to add. Jules Vicente, Tom, I've seen a fair few of those games and they've only won one out of their last eight. Of course, I mentioned what Vieta did in that game against RZ Alkmaar. They got the win in Maritimo, but that's not hard to do these days. Gee, what a thriller it was, 2-2 against Uriov. But again, not too much to add here on what Vieta is doing. Yeah, they're finding it really hard to win. We move down to Shoves, another team have had a pretty good start to the season, although they've had a couple of tough road games recently, losing 3-0 in Porto, losing 1-0 in Porto Manense. So a couple of teams in the in the top four, nothing really to read too much into that about. Aruka, a team I haven't seen this season. Of course, they got smashed 6-0 against Braga recently. They're battling along, trying to avoid any relegation dramas. Rio Ave further down, Tom, I've seen a fair bit of them. Yeah, they came back late against Braga and yeah, threw away a 2-0 lead the other day in Gilles Vicente. So interesting to see that Friere dropped two of his centre-backs, Nobrega and Pantalon. He's trying to make some changes there. Uh, Guga got sent off, but he's still a really key player and, as is, scored another goal. So he's doing pretty well. You got anything on uh, any of those teams, Tom? Just uh, interested to uh, hear about Rio Ave. Of course, you're just uh, literally next door to them, aren't you? And, uh, yeah... The times I've seen them, of course, I saw the Porto game, so maybe that's swaying my opinion a bit. And I did also see them at uh, Estoril, you know, in the flesh. And they've impressed me. They've really impressed me when I've when I've seen them. So I'm quite surprised to see them still, you know, towards the bottom end of the season, but uh, towards the bottom <coughs> of the the table. But uh, <clears throat> yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they if they make a run, uh, you know, and start start rising at the table. But yeah, that's that's the only one which really I. You know, I'd like to point out with those uh, slightly lower clubs. Well, they've got some defensive issues. That's clear. They conceded 13 goals. And, yeah, Fieta's still trying to find the right sort of combinations. Santa Clara, I saw them the other day uh, at Famalicão. I mentioned that uh, their young Brazilian, Gabriel Silva, would probably start games. And that's happened. And he scored the first goal on the weekend. 1-1 draw against Pachos de Freire with uh, Pachos Freire keeper. Having a howler, so good to see him, and uh, hopefully they can move away from the relegation zone. Vizela, a team I've seen a lot, Tom. I wrote about them uh, after that game in Braga. I don't think they've got any real problems to worry about. Uh, I just think that they're, they're really hard to beat. I think they've had some unlucky results. I don't think they're going to be rushing to, uh, to sack Alvaro Pacheco anytime soon. So I don't really think there's too much to worry about despite looking at their position and their results, it doesn't look good at all, but I think it's better than it, what that suggests. And for Malik Artem, I mean, one goal scored in seven games. Needless to say, that's bad. And uh, Rui Pedro Silva, he's been sacked. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> oh, so, sorry, I thought you'd, I thought you'd lost again. Uh, yeah, so they pulled a trigger yesterday uh, for Malik So again, they're one of these clubs bit like Estoril, but I think Famalicão take it to the next degree. They basically almost buy a new squad every season. And so sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. You have to say uh, that Rui Pedro Silva did a fantastic job last season. And they were looking at actually in relegation trouble, completely turned it around. And they ended the season really strongly. It's, uh, yeah, it's all gone wrong for him and for Famalicão. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's a tough game, isn't it? Being a football coach, you don't get the results, your job's on the line. And they've decided they need a change. Yeah, for sure. Down to another struggling club, Pastor de Ferreira. They lost their first <clears throat> six games of the season. I was there the other day. Uh, hadn't been to their 
the furniture capital for a long time, Tom, and uh, they they threw away that 1-0 lead against uh, Casapia. And they haven't sacked Cesar Peixoto. I didn't think they should. I think what you've seen is just some of these players are just doing dumb things over and over again. We saw it again in the Azores on the weekend with the goalkeeper. Um, I think the club know that. I think he made some changes that sort of saw them improve despite not being able to get any results. But yeah, he, he's holding on to his job for now, but uh, it's just not looking very good for Pasha Tafaleta and Meritimo. Uh, they sacked Vasco Siabra. They brought in Joao Henriques, but it hasn't made a difference at all. They're terrible. They can't defend at all. And they just got smashed 5-0 at Benfica. So they got a long way to go to get off the bottom of the table. Okay, Tom, that'll do for the Primera Liga. Let's take a break and come back with some news that people might have missed. Okay, Tom, I want to get to some of this news that people might have missed, and it's all pretty well connected. I mean, we saw an incident at Famalicão when they hosted Benfica uh, a week or so ago where there was a, a young boy standing next to the Benfica ultras or supporters and uh, basically forced to take off his Benfica jersey by some... <sighs> how, do, how do I just say this? Stewards. Fanatical? Well, I don't know if it was stewards oh. or fanatical Famalicão supporters. Uh, I, again, I use that word supporters, you know, with uh, reluctance. And then we saw an incident in Porto where uh, Conceição's wife and children, the car they were traveling in out of the stadium was attacked and uh, with stones. And then we saw another incident at the game you're at in Estoril, Tom, where there was a Porto supporter and <laughs> his daughter sitting in the in the stand there. And uh, that got really ugly and you were sitting just a few metres away from it. What did you see? It was literally about 10 metres in front of me. Really very depressing spectacle. Uh, you know, I was trying to watch the, the game and then everyone really just, uh, you know, their attention got swayed by what was happening. And it was basically, you know, this uh, kind of mid, middle-aged uh, Porto fan in the, in the stands with his daughter who was maybe, I don't know, she must have been three, four years old at most. And uh, I don't know how it started, but they, he'd got into a very heated argument with a bunch of uh, Estoril kind of ultras, the, the place where their most vocal fans sit, just on the other side of a fence. And it really got very ugly. I think there was, it was incredible to see, really. There was about 10, 15 of these Estoril fans, you know, really kind of giving it to him. Uh, very vitriolic. I think there were even some spitting going on and uh, he he just got up the Porto fan and you know walked to the to the other side of the, the stand about uh, you know 10 or 15 meters to get away from them this I have to say a lot of the Estoril fans around him uh, well two things I have to say I don't know exactly how it started of course they these Estoril fans then started uh, kind of remonstrating with the the press guys because some had been taking videos of it and uh, and they were saying, oh, tell the full story, you have to tell the full story. But you know, what is the full story? So I guess they're saying that he provoked them 
Well, that's what the Estoril, that's what the Estoril president has come out and said, Alexander yeah, de Faria. He's saying okay. that the, the father provoked him, yeah. Yeah, okay, but Matt, but how can you excuse that? You know, are they, don't these people have a brain? How can you possibly defend that kind of behaviour? You know, spitting on a, like a, a, a father who's got like a three or four-year-old daughter in his hands. You know, it's just absolutely unbelievable. And, uh, yeah, you know, pretty depressing to see. I think people just, all these incidents you spoke about, it's, it's so strange because Portugal is such, as you know, Matt, it's, it, it's actually known as o país de costumes brandos, which kind of translates as the, uh, the, the country of, of, uh, of mild ways or mild manners or mild ways of being, I suppose, mild customs. And yet, <laughs> people, when they get into a football stadium, it's a bit like, I suppose, some people when they get into a car, they just seem to transform and change their personality completely and just lose all kind of sense of uh, proportion and, you know, of decency, you have to say, in some cases. And, uh, yeah, that was just really, you know, really, you know, sad to see, I suppose, that, that incident, seeing it up close, it was shocking. Uh, yeah, just one thing I have to say is that, of course, most of the fans around this Porto fan who were near him, Estoril fans, were then uh, remonstrating with the Estoril fans who had, you know, who had kind of behaved in this way, you know, kind of pointing to their to their brain, saying, you know, what are you doing? Are you crazy? You know, just sort yourselves out. So I think people did recognise that, uh, you know, it was just a, a very lamentable scene. Yeah, I, I could talk for ages on this, so I'll just try and get to the, the main things I see. So, obviously, I've been to places like Alverca, like Canelish, Tom, you know. I, I've been up close with some of these dudes, you know, some of these ultras, and um, they're bad news. They're bad news, you know. Some of these characters in society get attracted to clubs because they can basically go to these games and have, I guess, anonymity, do whatever they want, and generally get away with it. Again, it's also connected to a lot of the clubs that are in, in on the outskirts of big cities. Like, you're just not going to see this sort of stuff in, in Tondela. <laughs> you know, you're not going to see it in Aruca. Um, you probably wouldn't see it in Chaves. So there's also a connection to, yeah, clubs that are basically on the outskirts or in big cities. The other thing is both these incidents saw, you know, Benfica and Porto traveling to smaller clubs, right? Normally, you would think that this would just be incidents that you would see when the, the big clubs take each other on. So there's a connection there. There's also a connection with, yeah, the opposition supporters sitting right next to the home supporters. So that's an issue for the clubs, I guess, in a way. I'm not excusing any of this in any form. It's, it's despicable. All of it is despicable. But I also was at that game in Ajax in Amsterdam where you had all those Benfica supporters sitting in front of me. And when they won the game, they were obviously celebrating. And, uh, you know, they got the showered with beer. I'm not excusing that again, but I'm just saying that some of this stuff is kind of, you can kind of see it coming when, when the, you know, you're sitting in areas close to some of these people. This thing in Porto with, with Constantinus family in the car, again, uh, they've identified uh, the people responsible who have lengthy criminal records from what I from what I understood, which just goes back to what I just said before. Interesting that Liga Portugal, they've come out now and said that they're going to set an urgent meeting to discuss violence in sport. If anything comes from that, who knows? It's probably just a whole lot of bullshit just to make it seem like they're actually doing something. It's difficult for a lot of these supporters to get tickets because the allocation is small for Malacal. That's what you saw. 
and probably that's what you saw here with Porto and Estoril. So that might be something that clubs need to look at is the allocation when the big clubs come to town. Because, you know, you, you go to Bolvista against Benfica and it, it's, it, there's so many more Benfica supporters there than Bolvista. It's I mean, that stadium, they can separate them all. It's easy. But some of these other stadiums, it's harder to separate them. Okay, Tom, let's move on because I just want to go on a quick rant. Okay, Tom, I just want to really get this off my chest because it's just pissing me off in every game I go to. And that is just people smoking. I mean, this is not obviously a football issue. It's just a society issue. Germany is out of control. I mean, I had to sit behind some Union Berlin uh, journalists uh, just chain smoking through the whole game. And I just can't go to any game in Portugal without journalists or supporters just smoking nonstop. Smoke coming into my face. i got to breathe in this junk. And even when you sort of ask them politely, you know, generally when you ask them politely, actually, to be fair, they'll sort of realize what they're doing and try and make an effort to get the smoke out of your face. But, you know, just every single game, what was it, 10 years ago or more, Tom, they basically banned smoking in pubs and restaurants. Football stadiums doesn't seem like they have any uh, <laughs> any uh, intention to, to stop smoking. Whether they think that if they did that, they, a lot less people would come to the stadiums, maybe that's something, but... I really don't know why one club just don't stand up and just say, look, this is bullshit, we're going to stop it happening. Because in most other, you can't smoke on a train, you can't smoke on a plane, you can't smoke in a restaurant. Why would a football stadium be any different when you're packed in with all these people? You know, really pissing me off and just so annoying. I don't know if you have to put up with this, Tom, or if you've got anything to say about it. Perhaps it's almost kind of a cultural thing. Perhaps people who smoke, you know, tend to smoke when they're in situations where they're a bit nervous or whatever and I suppose maybe watching your football team uh, maybe you know kind of <clears throat> opens their appetite to light up a cigarette but uh, yeah it's definitely a thing as you know of course Matt one thing very common I think all football stadiums in Portugal when you go in uh, a lot of people smoking quite a lot of it also not uh, shall we say legitimate cigarettes <laughs> and uh, again that's uh, uh, again, kind of a cultural thing, I have to say, maybe just because of my upbringing and my father, who was an absolute chain smoker, uh, didn't doesn't really bother me too much. But I can certainly understand your point of view. And if you don't smoke, and if you, of course, even the dangers from passive smoking, everyone knows that. Uh, it's uh, you know, again, I'm not quite sure what the actual law is if you're if it's permitted to smoke in a in a football stadium or not. But whether whether you are or you're not, yeah, that's certainly something it's almost impossible to avoid. Smoking is just such a dumb thing to do, you know, and the addiction is just so strong that so many people just just give up, trying to give up. <laughs> just incredible and just pissing me off so bad. Okay, Tom, let's move on to the Salasau. We've got a couple of big games coming up in the Nations League, travelling to Prague to take on Czech Republic and then back home to Braga, where they host España. Fernando Santos has named his team. Uh, goalkeeper, really no surprises there. 
defense also not a huge amount of surprises so i guess we need to talk about tiago jalo we've seen uh, gonzalo Inacio caught up recently we saw david Carmo caught up recently and now it's tiago jalo's turn i don't think he's going to get on the pitch but i think what this shows is that santos just wants to have a look at him just wants to see what's going on see how his game is developing and see how he fits in the group what do you make of uh, what did you make of jalo getting caught up i suppose it's a bit of a surprise isn't it that david Carmo isn't in this list but i suppose when i think when it was announced when the squad was announced i don't think he'd played for porto had just played one game perhaps and so i guess that's why uh, he's not in this list uh, it's interesting also, Matt, that when the squad announcement was made, they announced, they they categorised them as obviously the goalkeepers, defenders, midfielders and forwards. And Nilo Pereira, of course, PSG, uh, who's played so often in that double pivot with William Carvalho earlier in uh, Fernando Santos' reign, he was actually listed as a defender. And of course, we saw uh, in the earlier Nation League's games, it was Danilo and Pep, uh, the centre-back pairing. I guess... That is definitely, be, I think, Fernando Santos's first choice kind of replacement. If anything happens to Pep and Ruben Diaz, I fully expect Danilo to be drafted into centre-back. And so, yeah, I guess Thiago Jallo, uh, yeah, he's bringing him in. He's been in previous squads. He's getting a lot of playing time at Lille. I think he's doing quite well from by all accounts. And so, uh, and of course, he's got a little bit of adaptability. He can also play as a full-back. Uh, and so, yeah, I suppose Fernando Santos wants a closer look at him. I have to say, if he wants a closer look at him, it's almost certainly going to be just in the training camp because, as we know, Santos doesn't really experiment that much, uh, certainly at centre-back in those four games. Uh, like I mentioned in June, people were very surprised that it was literally Danilo and Pep, I think, for 90 minutes every game. And so he didn't even give you know, the likes of David Carmel. Uh, a run out so uh, yeah I suppose you have to say looking at this it looks like he's in good position to perhaps make the World Cup squad Thiago Jallo yeah I got nothing to add it, it, it's clear that uh, the top three choices in central defence for Santos is is Diaz, Pep and Danilo there's, there's no doubt about that so yeah Jallo what people I think don't realise when they start going ballistic about uh, some of the selections Santos makes is that how many times does he go and watch Lille Obviously, he watches as much video as he can, but he wants to see these guys up close, not only from a, a technical footballing point of view, but as I said, a, a personality point of view, an adaptability point of view. And as you mentioned, he plays left back, right back, centre back for Lille. So he's perfect guy to have on the bench if anything happens, you know, injury wise in game. So no surprise really to see him call up. And as you say, Carmo hasn't really played and Inacio not looking super strong at the moment. So it kind of all makes sense. Midfield, Tom, we mentioned that we might have seen the last of João Moutinho, and um, looks like that's the case. We see João Mario. We talked about the likelihood of him coming into the squad, really a no-brainer. And uh, Vitinha re- retains his spot. He's getting a lot of game time for PSG, playing along all those superstars there. And I guess the only other one out of the box which isn't really out of the box at all is William Carvalho a guy Santos loves he's got another spot so what did you make of the midfield yeah like you said no real surprises William of course he looked at one stage didn't he about a year ago or so can't exactly remember when he dropped out of the squad and it looked like perhaps his time was up but he got drafted back in he was actually really good in those Nations League games so he's kind of played himself certainly back into uh, the squad if not the team 
so yeah no real surprises like you said Joel Mario it's interesting isn't it if we asked this question in the summer I don't think anyone would have expected Mario to be in the running to get in the World Cup squad but you know as you have to say on the evidence we've seen at the start of the season he fully deserves to be in that squad so uh, yeah you know lots of choice again you look at that squad it's just packed isn't it Matt it's packed I mean people people have such a go at Fernando Santos or I think any national team manager you know as if it's an easy job how do you pick a midfield from Joao Polinho, Ruben Neves, Bernardo Silva, Bruno Fernandes, Joao Mario, Matias Nunes, Vitinha, William Carvalho? You know, they are all absolutely top-class players. A lot of them playing at the top of their game. You know, it's a tough job and uh, you can't really argue with any of those picks, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, without going over what we did in the last podcast, obviously Bruno Fernandes and Bernardo Silva will be in the starting side so then how does he what does he do i mean is he, he must be up all night fernando santos thinking about how he's going to do this as i said i'd love to see the palnina rubenevsh combo so i don't know we'll have to see what it, what happens but um yeah good to see joao mario in and just such a no-brainer to bring him in for so many reasons as soon as anything happens with the seller sale i read some stuff online or twitter and i just it's just ridiculous i got to get away from it but the tribalism you know, not only did you see it with those incidents we discussed, but you see it online when you say something about a manager and, you know, people get all defensive, like you're somehow attacking their club or attacking their manager. And they, they just take it personally and they just go completely overboard. Um, and, and some of the bullshit people go on with about Santos's selections, like, he, oh, if he played for Benfica, oh, if he didn't play for... I mean, just, just pathetic stuff. You know, Santos is trying to pick the best team he can, trying to get as much versatility as he can. Joao Mario is just a no-brainer on so many levels. Forwards, Tom, uh, a guy we didn't really talk about that I did have on the list was uh, Pedro Neto. Of course, he had some. He, he came into the the team, did pretty well, but then got that really bad injury, out for a long time. But um, Santos again brought him in, and it might be for the same reasons we just discussed with Thiago Jalot. Tom, he just wants to see how he's going, see him up close and personal. And uh, he's another, I guess, option off the bench. What do you make of that inclusion? Yeah, it's an interesting one, Neto, isn't it? Because like you said, he was really tearing it up in, in England before he got that really bad injury. It was a shame. I think he was in line to win a young player of the season or something, scoring lots of goals for Wolves, you know. And uh, But then, yeah, terrible injury. And uh, it's quite surprising, I have to say, that he's being called back because by all accounts, you know, I haven't seen Wolves play, but I've read quite quite a lot of their reports and uh, follow people who follow them and uh, they say he hasn't really got he picked up he hasn't really got this to the same level that he was prior to his injury but yeah he's got you know fantastic ability fantastic potential and so I guess that's what Santos uh, you know remembers uh, we we have to remember of course before his injury he had he not only got in the Portugal squad he got in the team and he was he was very productive. He's very good. I remember one game, I think, against Luxembourg. Uh, he, I think he provided two assists for Diogo Jota to score or something. So he was really, you know, in the mix, really one of the key players almost of Portugal uh, before his injury. So, uh, so yeah, I guess uh, Fernando Santos remembers that and wants to see if he can, uh, you know, recapture that form. Yeah, for sure. And uh, Ricardo Horta, another guy that's kept his spot. He'll be another option off the bench. 
what I wanted to just touch on here, which I guess concerns all the forwards, is that you know Santos has basically gone with the, with the two strikers. He, of course, he did play a four-three-three type formation here and there, but I think another reason why he might have included Neto is because if he if he does want to go to a four-three-three, then Neto is the obvious guy to play on the right wing. And touching on uh, Rafael Liao again, I, I think a lot of people. Of course, with his sensational form for AC Milan, think that he should be an automatic starter for Portugal. Like he, obviously, he's not. One of the reasons for that is because he's really he's most effective out wide on the left side in a 4-3-3, and Santos is just hasn't really played that formation for quite a while. It's been Ronaldo and Jota up front. That's one of the reasons you know, if people are sort of wondering why Liao is not a starter. I mean, he was he was bad in in Geneva, like most of the rest of the team, but. Uh, Santos is bringing up players so he's got options with with his formation. And I guess we'll finish off with Rafa Silva, who's not even in the squad anymore, Tom. i got to admit, this previous story escaped me. I, I wasn't on my radar where he, uh, he got accused of having a complicated personality. This goes back to November when uh, he was, I guess, in and out of the squad, had some injury problems, and he's now basically announced his retirement. I guess I'll, I'll hand it over to you. Big surprise, this big news yesterday, because, you know, the way we've been talking about Benfica, of course, earlier in the podcast, and they've been absolutely flying. And one of the reasons for that is Rafa Silva. He's been superb, possibly playing the best football of his career. Slightly different position, of course, slightly more central under Schmidt. And he was called up to the squad. So obviously his decision is really only just been made now. You know, he didn't inform Fernando Santos before the squad announcement. And it is a surprise. Yeah, he's, he's curious, Rafa Silva, because he's, you know, we, we've all seen he's got so much ability, but he's never really managed to make an impression for Portugal, you know, for the national side. He's been in and out of the squad for a long, long time now, almost a, almost a decade, really. Right after Portugal had lost that game against Serbia, their final World Cup qualifying group game, which meant they had to go to the playoffs. And if you ask me, Matt, I think there was a little bit of a witch hunt in the press and maybe they were looking for a scapegoat. And uh, Rafa Silva got accused of... Uh, it was one of these stories where they said, uh, you know, uh, sources at the FPF have suggested. So, you know, it is no real actual quotes from actual people. So it's very difficult to know the exact veracity of it. But basically, they were saying that Rafa Silva has disappointed people in the FPF because of his lack of effort and because of his, uh, like you just said there, that the phrase used was complicated personality. Uh, so, uh, I have to say that a couple of days after, I think, or soon afterwards, Fernando Santos uh, was asked about this and in an interview, in a televised interview, and he just staunchly defended Rafa Silva, said that's all lies, you know, it's you know, it couldn't be further from the truth. He's been my player since, uh, since I've been Portugal coach. Of course, he was in the Euro 2016 squad. Uh, and you know he's in the World Cup uh, squad uh, 2014 actually and he was also in 2020 Euro squad of course uh, and so uh, yeah it's it's definitely a decision which Rafa Silva has made himself uh, you know not quite sure the reasons he actually said himself that just for personal reasons didn't really go into it at any length so, <clears throat> yeah, a bit of a surprise, a bit of a shame that Rafa, you know, we never saw the best of him for Portugal. But looking at the bigger picture, not really sure it makes 
too much of a difference to Portugal and their chances of you know having success in the World Cup. Of course, one attribute of Rafa Silva is his just incredible pace uh, and his ability to dribble at pace. So that's something which we'll miss. You know, perhaps he would have been a good player to bring on if Portugal were winning a game one 0 and they just wanted to play on the break. But uh, you know that won't be the case now. But you know, there's other players who can probably play that role. Perhaps you were just talking there. Perhaps uh, Rafael Leal. You know, he could be brought on in that kind of situation. So, uh, so yeah, a, a big surprise. I'm sure we'll be. This will be talked about a lot. There'll probably be. You know, 101 theories about why it happened, about 99 of them probably false, but <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll have to wait and see. But uh, yeah, just, uh, I suppose, a bit of a shame in terms of the player himself, but uh, I don't really think it makes too much difference to Portugal's chances at the World Cup. No, he was, yeah, obviously on the outside and um, wasn't going to play a huge role anyway. And maybe, well, he obviously knew that, but it still wouldn't be a reason why you would not you don't want to go to the World Cup and, and be part of this squad and, uh, you know, maybe come off the bench and be a hero in a game. You just never know. So it couldn't have really been for that reason, I don't think. Whether it was due to this previous stuff and these these insinuations that he, uh, he was generating discomfort behind the scenes or complicated personality or he wasn't fully committed. I mean, I mean, how these sort of stories originate is, is, is curious. As you said, there's no sources and, and how this stuff gets out and if and if it was true why would Santosh call him up again it doesn't it doesn't really make sense he said it's for personal reasons and we just have to respect that I mean there could be a whole lot going on in Rafa Silva's life that no one apart from him and uh and, and those closest to around him know about so I think you just have to respect that and um and just leave it at that there's not really a whole lot more to discuss except I guess Santosh has another spot now okay Tom that's been a wrap and uh, that's been fun. I'm going to go to the beach and uh, get back later on, chop this all up, get it out there. Nice chatting to you. I've got to uh, get ready for some uh, some more airports and some more travel. So that's all That's all good. And, um, mate, take it easy. Enjoy the uh, the break and the, these two Nations League games coming up. Yep, you too, Matt. Hope you uh, hopefully witness two more Portugal victories. Uh, that would be quite something, wouldn't it? Uh, but I suppose more important than anything, let's hope that at the end of these games, Portugal are in good shape for the World Cup. For sure. Well said. Take it easy, everybody. Forza.
Yeah.